My first ever professional writing gig came after my senior year of high school, when my local weekly, The Patent Trader out of Cross River, New York, allowed me to profile area athletes. I wrote pieces on the nearby summer baseball league, on my pal Jonathan Powell going to Navy to play lacrosse, on Mark Desi trying to walk on as an undersized defensive back at Villanova. I got paid nothing. The sports editor, a man named Joe Lamardi, would occasionally take me out for lunch at a Jewish deli in Mount Kisco. All I wanted to do was reach bigger and better, to leave behind preps and cover the Yankees, the Jets, the Knicks, the big time. I wound up doing that. And you know what? I probably never replicated the unbridled euphoria of being 18 and armed with a notepad and a pen. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Singing Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode features Tom Lapis, the editor, publisher, and owner of the Henrico Citizen, the twice-monthly Virginia newspaper that can be had for free and is thriving in an era where most newspapers are not. So how? Why? What's Tom's magic? This is episode number 146. Let's sing some Yang. All right, Tom, thanks for doing this. I knew nothing about you. And someone on Twitter said, you need to have this guy, Tom Lapis, on the on the podcast. And the more I read about you, the weirder I found your story in a freaking delightful, amazing way, which is to say, you graduated from the University of Richmond in 1998. You work in a, you're working at the Far West End Press, which I guess a newspaper that no longer exists. Yeah, it was a monthly kind of a neighborhood publication. The owner had put it together like in the early 90s. And it was, you know, it it served a good purpose kind of before the social media world came into being. She had like a correspondent in every neighborhood in that part of the county writing like a monthly column about what was happening. It was very, you know, down home. Um, But yeah, I I spent some time there. She was getting ready to start a a countywide paper. uh, And I was hired about a month before that before that started. So I was kind of on board for that. So then it's 2001 and you and, and three of your colleagues decide to start their own newspaper, which seems like the worst idea ever. Like it seems like an idea that is so preposterously bad that any, any person with any business sense whatsoever would say it's 2001. Don't start a newspaper. That's a terrible idea. Um, why'd you start a newspaper? Great question. I was um, so so I had been at this other company for about three years. We had a very good team of, of people in place. We all got along. We did our work well. The owner of the company was a, a bit eccentric, to kind of put it mildly. She had no journalism training. She had some money, family money, and was kind of this was kind of her little uh, pet project in a way. And it had done a lot of good things. But the way that she ran it, I didn't think was I thought it could be a lot more without uh, candidly her her leadership. And uh, she was getting ready to move out of state. There was uncertainty about what might happen to the to the publications. We really liked our team. And one day I said to them, you know, what if I start a paper? Would any of you guys come with me? And um, shockingly, three of them said, yeah, yeah, I think we would. I know I was 24 years old. I had not ever taken a business course in school. I never anticipated ever owning a business or much less starting one, uh, you know, at any point, much less, again, three years out of school. But we were good at what we did, and I felt like there was a lot more that we could do for our community here in Henrico County. And I was naive, but probably in a good way, uh, because I knew, I, you know, I knew the journalism side of things. I felt comfortable that we could put together a better caliber product than we were even 
you know, putting together there. And I candidly thought if I do some things on the business side, the opposite of what of what our boss there had had done, maybe it'll work out. Um, you know, and my dad said to me, hey, this is the perfect time to, t- to try something crazy like this, because if it doesn't work out in a year or two, you know, you're 25, 26, you go get another job and, and you don't miss a beat. I didn't have a wife or family, kids, you know, didn't even have a girlfriend at that point. So it's kind of like I had nothing to lose. I had nobody to answer to. And um, so we so we went for it. Now, I will say um, the idea kind of hatched in early 2001. And so we were, you know, I spent the spring and summer getting ready for it. Um, and then 9-11 happens. And uh, I mean, our first issue came out, I think, uh, nine days after 9-11. I'm sitting in my office, my brand new office, you know, getting things organized, listening to 9-11 happening on the radio. Um, and then, of course, I thought, well, geez, have I made a horrible mistake? Because now, you know, advertisers didn't want to talk anymore. That everybody's kind of holding on to their money really tight. Understandably, there was obviously a ton of uncertainty, and um, but we 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 somehow survived that first year, and uh, and here we are. You're starting a paper. Like, how do you get people interested in investing money? Twenty four year old kid, three years out of college, has never run anything. Bare bones resume. Like, how did you even get people to support the idea? I guess the short answer is I didn't. Uh, I mean, I did this primarily with with my savings and some family help, uh, a, lot, a lot of family help in a lot of ways, you know, financially and, and other ways, just overall support. But um, when I look back on it now, I think this was, uh, you know, I didn't have I didn't have a formally written down business plan. I didn't I've never taken out a loan for the business. I mean, basic stuff that <laughs> that I should have done, you know, the people who are starting businesses think about doing, but I just didn't do it. Um, and I sort of, I, I pro- you know, I didn't hire my first uh, salesperson for probably three years, which again, crazy. I mean, I look back at it and I think, how the hell did I make it? Five minutes, much less three years. Um, and then the first hire was, was a disaster. So I, I've, I've learned a lot, uh, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. I have failed a lot of different ways. Um, I think I was naive enough in the beginning to think, Hey, if we, if you, give people a really valuable product that is meaningful in their own lives in this community, then the rest will follow, you know, organically. Um, that sounded good back then. It didn't, re- it didn't really work that way. Uh, at least not from an advertising standpoint, but um, you know, I think we, so we early on, we, we did a lot of direct mail cause I said, people aren't going to know who we are. Otherwise I want to, I want this paper to show up in their, you know, mailboxes twice a month. Uh, so we did that for a few years. That gets expensive. Um, so I, we pulled back and, and gradually kind of transitioned to a free pickup at grocery stores and libraries and, you know, 100 or 150 spots across the county. And um, and you just have to hope that people care about what you're doing and that you're giving them something that they can't get anywhere else. Did you have a moment where you thought, oh, wait, this is going to this actually is going to work? I've had a lot of those moments. Yeah. I, you know, because I, I guess I sort of think big picture. And, and so I've always had this vision of what I think this thing can be. And, and that's what's kept me going 18 plus years into it now. Um, we've never gotten, <laughs> we've never gotten there, but you know, I, I guess I'm still kind of romantic about the idea of, Hey, maybe one day I'll have, you know, a couple full-time reporters and a, a full-time sales staff of four or five people and, you know, a graphic designer and a, uh, office manager and that sort of thing. I don't think that I need any of that at this point um, to keep, you know, doing things the way that I want to. But um, 
Yeah, yeah. I think uh, just along the way, you know, you always. I'm sort of a, in a way, I guess I'm a glass half empty guy. Like whatever we've accomplished, I always want to do more. That's what kind of keeps me going. Is like, how can we get better? Um, I've had to remind myself, like, hey, take pride in the fact that you've made it 18 years, and here's some great things, that, you know, that we've been able to do for our community. But, um, but yeah, I think I just look at what can't, what haven't we done yet? What can we get better at? How do we improve? How do we reach people in new ways? How do we, you know, tap into the new wave of journalism that's been happening around us? And uh, all that stuff kind of keeps me going. Wait, so how, I don't even know how this works. I'm, I know you come out the first and, and third Thursday. Um, that's when you print. Uh, you have a pretty freaking impressive Twitter feed. You got more than 8,000 followers for a small paper. That's, that's pretty damn good. Um, yeah, your paper is filled with a lot of, by, a lot of bylines by you. And then <laughs> you'll have bylines that are special, you know, special to the newspaper, mm-hmm. special to the citizen. Um, do you have an office? Do you have a staff? How are, you know, how, how do you organize these sort of two weeks between, uh, printings? Yeah, well, we have a very modest office. We're uh, about you know seven hundred something square feet of office space. Usually, it's just me in here. I've got a. I'm very fortunate. I've got a managing editor who has been with me from the beginning. She was one of the three who came with me originally. Um, her role, she by by her choice, her role has kind of um, been reduced over the years. So she's working probably five or ten hours a week. So a very very limited role. But she normally uh, produces a. You know, a story per per print edition every couple of weeks. She's out in the community all the time taking pictures and she'll copy edit a bunch of stuff and rewrite. Um, so she's phenomenal, um, has won like 200 awards for her writing over the years. And then I have a part time uh, calendar slash social media manager who who works from home 15, 20 hours a week. She she puts together. Uh, you know, all of our calendar listings. she does. She mostly handles our Twitter account and she. um handles our uh, email news updates, which we send out to about 12,000 people uh, three days a week. I spend my time in the office trying to do a little bit of everything. I mean, from answering emails, I mean, we have, you know, I'm probably looking at 360 emails in my inbox every day and, and voicemails and, um, you know, big picture stuff, trying to figure out what's going to run in our next issue. Who's going to write it? What, you know, what can I cover myself? Um, I don't get to do as much writing as I as I really would like to. That's kind of the downside to this. You know, you start a newspaper thinking, "Hey, I'm a I'm a pretty decent writer. Maybe I can make a difference here." And then you end up having to do all of the other things to run the business day to day. So that that's a little challenging. Uh, you know, we don't. I, I do all the graphic work, so that means sometimes designing ads. Uh, I design every page of every paper we've ever put out, um, which I enjoy. But again, it's time consuming. I'm helping load stuff to the to the website or uh, copy edit articles or submissions we have um you know we'll work with some freelancers from time to time and we have interns and we have uh, you know relationships with uh, uh local universities so some of those students will write an article here or there for us uh, so we just kind of piecemeal it together and um you know and, and do the best we can with it i gotta say it's pretty amazing so there's there's a uh i found a completely random story you wrote and it was called um you wrote in December, uh, December 19th issue, back in the game, volunteers breathed new life into dormant Highland Springs, literally, right? And there was a, yeah. there was a story I found that you wrote. And yeah. your lead was, puddles fill uneven slopes of dirt at the Highland Springs Little League fields on Reed Street on a recent blustery Monday morning, evidence of the previous day's downpour. Tim Gallagher surveys the water, eyes the uneven ground, glances at the patches of missing glass. 
This isn't baseball weather, but it isn't baseball season either. Then again, it hasn't been baseball season at Highland Springs for several years now, ever since the league shut down operations when years of waning participation became too difficult to overcome. Gallagher has heard stories, though, about what things were like when the league was thriving. What struck me right off the bat is you can fucking write. Like, you're a really, really good writer. You easily, easily could have been some guy who graduated from Richmond in 1998 and went on to write for whoever, the LA Times or the New York Times or the Washington Post. You could have been at ESPN. You could have a million different places. You're a very, 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 very good writer. Um, do you ever sort of look back in time and think as you sit in your office and you're laying out the newspaper and you're trying to get ads and Kroger has kicked you off the racks and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Are there points where you're like, why the hell did I even ever tackle this? Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know that it's true, but I, um, you know, I, I guess every now and then I will think that, but I don't, uh, it doesn't feel like missed opportunity to me because I was never that personality that really felt like, Hey, you know, I'm going to graduate and, and just go anywhere in the country that'll take me and work my way up and move all over the place. You know, that was just not in my, in my DNA. I don't think, um, I'm more of a, a local guy I'm from Northern Virginia. You know, family has been a, such a huge part of my life and my folks, um, were up there still, still are up there. Um, I never felt like going too far away. And then once I got to Richmond, I loved it. I loved this area. Um, felt very comfortable here. And, um, you know, it is funny because all the way from the time that I was in fifth grade through time at Richmond, I was, I was a sports writer. I mean, that's what I love. I'm still a huge sports guy. I was sports editor of every paper, you know, all the way up. And I knew that I wanted to stay, if I could, I wanted to keep writing sports. And so I would think about like, Hey, what would it be like one day to write for SI or, you know, um, or ESPN or whatever, but it was never in the sense of, I'm going to start on that path right now. And then I realized, well, if I'm going to, you know, I wanted to stay in the Richmond area and, um, but I realized there's not many sports writing jobs, you know, to be had in, in Richmond, Virginia. And, um, at the same time, I knew that the one thing I didn't want to do was go into community journalism because it just seemed like a step backwards. I mean, I've been covering, you know, division one sports and I kind of had my, um, uh, you know, come to Jesus moment when one year, my senior year, I think Richmond played at North Carolina and there I was covering the game. And after the game, you know, you walk into the press room and it's me and five other guys and Dean Smith walks in and I, I couldn't say a word. And I was just like, Oh my God, it's Dean Smith. Um, so the thought <laughs> of going from that to like covering, you know, high school girls volleyball on Tuesday nights and the city council meeting on, you know, Wednesday, it didn't really, it didn't resonate with me until I got in the role at my first job. And I thought, holy crap, like, you know, I love this. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that I would love it. And what I love about it is that you get to know the whole community. You know, you're not just dealing with the athletes in that case, you're dealing with, you know, you're going to planning commission meetings and seeing how land use decisions are going to impact the County. And you go into board of supervisors meetings and, and hearing people's issues that they have. And then you're, you know, you're in a school one day looking, uh, experiencing a new pilot program that the school board has implemented and seeing like how it's actually impacting kids and, and their ability to learn. And I found that the type of story that we could tell was just so much more diverse and so much greater than, um, you know, what I had been doing, just writing sports, where at some point all the quotes kind of seem the same. And, you know, it's just, uh, it kind of runs together a little bit. Um, so that has really motivated me in the years past to find that perspective. I'm, I'm really big on perspective in general. And, um, you know, this job has certainly allowed me 
I think to, to demonstrate that. Um, I just want to say my favorite, my favorite thing you've said so far is you're like, I wish I was writing more. And I have the, um, <laughs> I have the yeah. December 19th to January 1st issue of the citizen in front of me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, front page back in the game. The story I just read Tom Lapis byline redistricting committee, revisiting its proposals. Tom Lapis byline two, three, no articles, uh, four, five, no articles. Here we go. Page six. First tee to operate, uh, Belmont golf course. Tom Lapis. Board punts on Second Amendment sanctuary concept. Tom Lapis. We go two more pages advertising. Oh, here's another one. Vidhukis uh, recaps Enrico's uh, year of bold moves. Tom Lapis. Right. I mean, you're all over this thing. You are. You must be right. I mean, bare minimum, aren't you writing five articles per issue? You know, it varies. It is funny. This I feel like the past year has been a very busy one for, <clears throat> for Henrico County. There's been a lot of big projects and a lot of you know, some controversy. And so I have had to, um, unfortunately, I guess have been able to write more. Um, and I think part of that too is, you know, I'm trying to write stuff that we can post online as soon as possible. And so then at the end of a two week cycle, I'm kind of piling a lot of that into the print edition. So it's already run online. Uh, sometimes I, I try to update it or add to it for the print version. Sometimes I can't. Um, but yeah, I think it is, it is funny. I mean, I, um, I've gone through stretches where I may only write one or two articles for a couple months. And, and if we've got interns or we've got freelancers, um, but then there are other times that, you know, if it's a government issue, I'm pretty much the only one who, who's covering that for us. And, and I feel like my experience, you know, I can, I can do that kind of uh, coverage in a way that, that nobody else really could. Um, and I enjoy it. And I, you know, I like, I, I enjoy trying to explain in my articles to people in a, in a clear way, like, you know, not only what's happening or what's happened or what could happen, but what does it mean? You know, how does it, how's it going to impact you as a person living in Henrico County? Why should you care about this? Um, and I think that's important for, for journalists anywhere, but particularly at this level where, you know, a lot of people don't understand how, how local government works. They've never been to a, a board of supervisors meeting. They've never been to a school board meeting. They don't, the basic things that I sort of take for granted because I've had to understand it over the years. Um, that many of my readers wouldn't understand that they would have no reason to in, in many cases. So I enjoy that, that aspect of feeling like, you know, I can help educate people and, and inform them. Do people still want to read a print newspaper? I think, uh, I think yes and no. I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. So I think, I feel like we probably reach the same number, uh, an equal number of people online as we do in print. But I think there's, moderate overlap in other words like a lot of people only read us in print and a lot of people only read us online and i don't know that it's it's not the same group of people obviously um but there's some overlap there's some who read us online they get our email they pick us up in print um i think what print has done for us over the years and i've kind of seen it go in a in a circle and maybe it's heading <laughs> for lap two now but um you know when we started in 2001 the internet was not really a, a major place where you would find community papers. So we stood out. We we're pretty much just a print product. Um, then everybody w went online. Obviously, we were online and it, it, you kind of get lost a little bit. And then I think what happened, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, um, you started to stand out again because you had a print product. And I think there is some sort of, um, you know, you get a little bit more um, of a sense of, hey, this is a legitimate entity if they have a print product as opposed to, you know, just some fly by night website that I can't distinguish whether it's legit or not. Um, so I think there's, there's that. Um, 
you know, our advertisers who are with us now, most of them are with us because of the print element. Um, but it is tricky because, you know, there's a, there's a big part of me that, that has thought like, man, I could save, you know, I'm spending 75% of my expenses are probably related to printing and distributing my paper. So if I get rid of that and go online only, I could invest a lot of money to even enhance our online offerings and, you know, get into whatever video or a bunch of other things. Um, but so it's, it's, you know, it's something that I'm always weighing, but I think for now, uh, enough of our readers are still interested in the print product that, uh, that it's still viable. It's interesting. I'm a, I'm advi- I'm an advisor to a student newspaper to college out here. And yeah. I have had talks through the years of the editors when they say they, they want to stop printing. And I always say, I, I'm always on the, on the side of don't stop because it feels like when you have a product that you hold in your hands, it just says I exist. And once you stop existing as a physical product, it's almost like you all of a sudden you blend into the million different things that are online and you exist just a little less. Yeah, no, and I, and I, I completely agree. And it's, I mean, U of R's uh, student paper went away in print form maybe five or six years ago. And it was sort of like, Damn, you know that <laughs> those kids are never going to have the experience of having to stay up all night to to make a print deadline and to lay pages out and to you know do all that stuff. The other thing is, I think that, um, like you said, when you start as a print product, it's sort of viewed as a failure if you eventually get rid of that and go online only. Versus if I, you know, if somebody else started a Henrico online site tomorrow, and that's all that they did nobody would view them as a failure necessarily because they never had a print product. So it's sort of a, uh, you know, you, you kind of get screwed in the sense if I ever give up the print product, people are going to say, oh, that, well, they're going out of business now because they're, they're just online only. You know, I would worry a little bit about that perception, um, even though I think we do a, a great job online. But um, but it is funny how people kind of look at that. Before we continue with two writers slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my mom, Joan, who's really enjoying the Donald Trump years. He's so handsome. Really? And intelligent. What? And he smells like moonshine and peppermint. Mom, what are you talking about? Donald Trump, the man who saved the USFL and brought us 503 Sports, the place where I buy all my throwback sports merchandise like hats and t-shirts. Mom, Donald Trump has nothing to do with 503-sports.com, and he ruined the USFL. That's not what Fox News tells me. Are you watching that stuff again? It's either that or live with Kelly and Ryan. Good point. Your paper is very, very, very hyper-local, obviously. You have, uh, in the in the January 9th issue, you had, you covered the governor's, um, you know, sort of state of Virginia address, and then you had local politicians, uh, you know, take on on his address. How political can, how into politics can you get uh, in these times of, you know, crazy anger in America and both sides of it. Um, I don't know how, how deep in the water are you willing to take your paper and how sort of nervous does that make you? Yeah. Well, and so that article, I mean, we're fortunate we have a great, there's a great program here that actually VCU and the university of Richmond are sort of jointly involved with called the capital news service where they've got student reporters covering the general assembly and um, covering a lot of statewide issues. So that, that article came from, from one of them. And we run that stuff, you know, regularly at a local level. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we certainly cover elections. We cover a lot of the, the local, again, boards and commissions and that sort of thing. I don't find that at, at the countywide level, there's the vitriol that, you know, that exists at, 
as you go up to a state level or obviously to a national level. And so, um, you know, there's, the, I don't think I've ever heard like, oh, the, you know, the Henrico Democrats are out to screw us or the Henrico Republicans only have their best interest in mind. Like it, it doesn't really. And, and I think part of that is a testament to the county itself. It's been run very well over the years, um, sort of in a, in a bipartisan way. So I don't feel like the, the party politics stuff impacts us as much at the, at the local level. Um, but, you know, when we post our statewide articles like that, inevitably, and, and it happened the other day on Facebook, you know, you're going to get some people saying, I'm not, yeah, I can't trust that Democratic governor as far as I could throw him or, you know, people on the other side saying the same thing about Republicans. So, yeah, you get some of that. I don't, I don't object to it. I think I just, like all of us in the field anymore, you, you kind of get tired of the back and forth. Um, you know, I just want people to read and, and make up their own mind and not necessarily just read a headline and start yelling on on social media about it, you know, um, that, that gets frustrating. And, and at times I wonder, like, do people even care enough anymore to to challenge themselves? Or if you have a certain point of view, are you willing to read the opposite point of view and learn something? You know, even if it doesn't change your mind, are you willing to engage for five minutes with, um, you know, what somebody else on the other side of the aisle is saying? Wait, Tom, um, don't you, you and I are about the same age. We're in the same age range. Yeah. Um, I feel like something has changed drastically and terribly in this country when it comes to news consumption, which is, you know, when you and I were growing up um, and CNN was just coming along, you would generally get your news. You'd read the newspaper or you would watch the six o'clock news, five o'clock for local, six o'clock for national. And you'd get the information and then you digest the information. And nowadays it does feel like everyone is just trying to get told, have their beliefs reinforced. And the idea of just reading and then developing your own opinion without a Rachel Maddow or a Sean Hannity telling you what you should think, it almost seems quaint. And that's kind of depressing. It is. I mean, it's very depressing. And, and I mean, I've had thoughts over the years, like, how is this still something that people are going to care enough about at any level? But but obviously, from, you know, from my level, like, um, and, and how do you kind of weigh that in, the, in light of what you see out there? I, I just, you know, I sort of. Um, I've tried my best with what we do to, to continue, um, just giving people, you know, give it to them, give it to them straight and hopefully they're willing to, to hear it. I think in our case, you know, the fact that we've been around a little while longer, people do tend to respect us. And, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the talking heads, I, I really feel like the talking heads, TV, radio have, have skewed things so greatly that, you know, we're all looking at things through, one set of lenses or the other, and we don't really want to have that changed. Um, and it's frightening to think of, you know, that people aren't willing to be open to just having discussions, uh, you know, at, at a minimum. And I, you know, most of the journalists that I know are, are like me, that we're very open minded people. We're curious. We're, you know, we want to find out more about things that we don't know. Um, we're willing to have our minds changed. And I guess at some level, I, I, I kind of wish that more people were like that. Um, not like we're up on some pedestal or anything, but, um, you know, that, that's how I am. And so I, I, I want to do whatever I can to, to show people like, Hey, you know, open your mind a little bit. Just let's, let's read, let's learn. Let's, let's have a conversation. I have a friend who, uh, he works for the, uh, he works for a weekly newspaper up near Yosemite here in California. And he recently told me he did a story about a, and he showed it to me and it was awesome about a, a goat stranded on an island and it was the most 
small newspaper awesome story ever. And I just right. ooze jealousy writing the ability to write about a goat stranded on an island. <laughs> um, what's your best top of your head, best awesome local story you guys have worked on? Ooh, well, I don't have any, I don't have any goat stories. Um, you know, my, mine was probably a little more on the serious side and just a, a, an awesome story that I kind of stumbled onto 15 years ago. Um, and this may not be, may not be the, the direction you wanted me to go, but, uh, you know, it's a story and it would take me forever to explain it and do it justice. But uh, basically the story about a little girl who in the 1960s, um, when Prince Edward County, Virginia, closed its schools rather than integrate uh, and kept them closed for five years, which was the they were the only locality in the country to keep their schools closed that long rather than integrate them. Um, and incidentally, they set up a private school for whites so that the white students didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, a, a, a little girl, six year old girl from Prince Edward County ended up coming to school in Henrico County for two years uh, during that time period um, and was able to continue her education thanks to the efforts of a group of black teachers in Henrico. And long story short, I, I was able to track down all of the people who were involved with getting her here. They had to raise money. The superintendent said, we, you know, we'll take as many Prince Edward students as we, as we can, provided they all pay their way. Well, none of them could pay their way. So this group of black teachers in Henrico County raised money over a period of months. They raised enough money for one girl, for one student, turned out to be this little girl. And, um, and so she came here for two years, was educated, and then she went back home and everybody here kind of lost track of her, didn't know what happened. Um, I tracked her down 43 years later and found out her side of the story. What had happened to her since then? Uh, what, what had she done in life? You know, what, and it was, it was really an incredible story because I, you know, the awesome thing to me was once I knew her side of the story, I was the only person who knew the whole story, uh, which was probably the only time that's happened to me. And it was just a very powerful story of resiliency and, group effort and, and, you know, people doing something for this little girl who they didn't know before. Many of them didn't have any experience with her while she was here. Then she went back and went on to the rest of her life. Um, and uh, it, it really a, a remarkable story. I thought that, that um, I was fortunate just to kind of stumble onto it. Did she have a pet goat? No pet goats. No, I, <laughs> she had a bunch of grandchildren, but, uh, but no goats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Those are the kind of stuff. I mean, as trite as it sounds, those are the kind of stories that make the job. Every crappy thing you have to deal with as a journalist, those are the stories that sort of make it all a special uh, profession. Don't you think? Oh yeah, for for sure. You know, and I mean, we're all storytellers at, at heart, and um, uh, you know, you want to be able to. Uh, there's just the power of writing. I think that you can connect with people and and evoke some emotional response from them, and that's powerful. And um, you know, I think we're always in search of that as, as journalists. There's a story that ran last October on your local TV station's website about the uh, Henrico Citizen newspapers. I alluded to this. No longer on racks in Kroger. Quote, it's a blow. The lead was an owner of a Henrico-centric publication is concerned about the future of his business after a major supermarket announced it would no longer carry his publication. Um, And this was Kroger's, which is a major supermarket chain. And... I'm completely befuddled by this because the paper's freaking free. It's a community service. How does it hurt a supermarket? So uh, how big of a blow was that? And did you try to 
you know, plead with Kroger to continue with the newspaper distribution. Yeah. So interesting. And first, <laughs> the funny thing was, and the, and the TV reporter who did that story, I mean, did a great job. The funny thing was, at no point did I say that I was concerned about the future of my business. That was sort of <laughs> something that was added in, I think, on the social media end for that station. Kind of funny, you know, you, you get a taste oh, yeah. of seeing like how how stories can be distorted a little bit. But anyway, yeah. um, no, Kroger made this decision na at a national basis where they're just said, we're going to get rid of all free publications and all of our Kroger and, and related stores. And um, I think their their rationale was what they said publicly was, well, people just aren't picking them up the way they used to. You know, they're not they're not moving. Basically, it's not helping us in any way. I mean, I, I would beg to differ, at least in our market. I know that in, in the local Kroger's here, we had, you know, in addition to my paper, probably, you know, six, seven other monthlies, you know, magazines, shoppers, um, alternative weeklies, that sort of thing. And all of them moved. I mean, we we would probably go through two, three, four hundred copies um, every two weeks of our paper at, at every Kroger. And I think there were like nine of them here in the county that, that carried the paper. So it was a blow, you know, but, but at the same time, like the same thing had happened. Uh, Publix came into the market a few years ago and took over for another set of supermarkets. And um, we had been in those stores. Publix has the same policy, so we couldn't be in there. And um, in our case, I think publishing every two weeks, it makes it a little easier because we'll just kind of double up on uh, in other locations where typically we might, we might be out of papers after a week. Now we can, you know, put those other papers in there and, and, and they'll be around for two weeks. Of course, you want to move the papers sooner rather than later. But, you know, it, I think it hurts just from, from the standpoint of people who shop at Kroger. Now we're going to have to go somewhere else to find us in print if that's the way that they want to read us. Um, obviously, they can find us online. They can read our print edition online. We put it online as sort of a flip page version where, uh, you know, you're reading the same exact product as if you go out to the, to the store to pick it up. But um, and, and I've tried over the years, I think, to to find as many different ways as we can, as we can to give people, you know, the content that we're, that we're pushing out. So whether you want to read us just online or through email or social media or whatever, you can do that. Um, and I guess maybe in that sense, I don't view it as a huge blow, but it, you know, would I rather be in Kroger than not? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 19 years. What's the, what's the angriest you've ever had someone at a story you wrote, you, uh, you ran. Oh man. That's a good one. Uh, well, I had somebody tell me that they were praying for me one time. Um, I wrote, <laughs> I think the county, I forgot now, it's been a few years, but the county decided to go back to um, saying a prayer before its board of supervisors meetings. And I basically wrote a column that said, you know, I, I just, I don't know that that's appropriate. And they were, they were doing it in a way that, um, you know, they were going to allow a, a different denomination every week or whatever. Fine. No problem. Um, but I wrote a column saying, yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't really see the point of doing this, <clears throat> um, in this, in this government centric, you know, setup here. And, and so I got some, some people saying, well, you know, you, I, I hope you find God and all, all this sort of thing. Um, not super angry. I, I'm trying to think of other really angry people. Um, you know, we, we, in the last probably two years ago, we were called uh, fake, local fake news by a couple people from both from both sides, um, all of whom had their facts wrong about whatever it is that they were complaining about. Somebody hadn't gotten an email and thought that we had intentionally not sent them an email. You know, um, you know, we don't get a lot of angry people, I don't think, in, in a general sense. And again, maybe it's because we're local and um, 
you know, our reach is only so far. I don't think people expect, people tend to not expect a lot of community papers. Um, unfortunately, I think, I, I feel like you ought to expect the same standards certainly to apply whether you're local publication or national, but, um, but I don't know, I guess people maybe are just, um, maybe they're not moved either way, either way by what we're putting out, or maybe they just, you know, they're glad to have a local paper. And, and so relatively they're, they're pretty well behaved, fortunate for us. Whenever I hear anyone say fake news, uh, their opinion uh, is immediately disqualified because it's so it's such a lazy, it's such a lazy, you want to say I got something wrong in a story. Okay. You want to say yeah. that I didn't do the story well? Okay. You want to say the writer sucked? Fine. Like, it has become the laziest phrasing. Fake news is when you when a glass is is filled with orange juice and you say it's cranberry juice. Like, that's right. fake news. Writing a story you don't like is not fake news. That's just, of all the things that have uh, come about over the past few years, the fake news thing is the one that just gets me every single time. Yeah, it's tough. And, it, you know, it, and it does trickle down, like we've seen to, to every level. And, and I think that... Um, yeah, like you said, if you have, you know, I mean, we make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes and, um, we try not to, but if, if we make a mistake, we'll own up to it. Um, as I think most all reputable outlets do. And, and, um, uh, yeah, so that's totally fair game. And, you know, and I think all of us in the industry are used to being criticized or getting the angry messages from time to time. And that's fine. We're, you know, uh, comes with the territory, but, but base it on something real, you know, <laughs> base it on a fact or, or something that we actually got wrong. Um, there are two stories from your, uh, from your paper that to me just sum up why I love times a million community newspapers. Yeah. Um, and neither of them had a byline and which means you probably wrote them. Number one is <laughs> it was a small headline jackpot. And it's a picture of a guy named Dalton Perkinson holding a check for $250,000. <laughs> and the story, did you write this? No, well, that was, it kind of came from a press release. So yeah, but I, I edited it a little bit. Yeah. I, all right. So. Dalton Perkinson has a routine. Nearly every day, the Richmond man meets a buddy of his at the Wawa in Henrico, and they play some lottery games. That routine took a very non-routine turn when he scratched a white-hot fives ticket from the Virginia lottery and discovered he'd won $250,000. I was going crazy, he said with a laugh. I cried all the way home. I love those stories. And then you have, which is just my favorite, Wawa opens 11th Henrico store. Um, number one, because Wawa was the greatest store ever. And the fact that you guys have 11 when in the entire state of California, we have zero just kind of pisses me off. And like, I just love that shit. Like, I love, I love reading about the guy who won the, the lottery. I love the chili cook off that, you know, raised funds for X. I love reading about the little league kid who struck out a record for Virginia. And I love, I just love every, more than reading about the county election. More than reading about like Second Amendment, blah, blah, blah. I just love the smallness and that you take little things and it's almost like by putting them in print, you make them matter. And I just think that's a beautiful freaking thing. I do. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I agree with you. I think, you know, as I've said to people before, like everyone at some point or somewhere in their in their closet has a clipping of a newspaper, you know, right with their name in it. Somebody you made the dean's list your little league team won the state you know you made whatever it is you got that somewhere and it means something to you and it's hard to to clip something out of the internet you know and keep it in a scrapbook you can't do that um so i and i look back so i grew up in northern virginia a town called herndon uh, right in the shadows of dulles airport and it was you know 15 20 000 people when i was growing up but we had three weekly newspapers the whole time that i was growing up there right. and i 
I, you know, every week I would beg my parents, take me down to the, to the highest drugstore or whatever it was on the corner where I can get those three papers. Or if you guys are going to be out, make sure you pick them up. Um, and I would read those things cover to cover. And I don't even think I, I understood why, but there was just this kind of magic to it. Like here is a bunch of, you know, news and a bunch of pictures about places that I know businesses that we shop and people that I know and places, you know, schools that I, either I attend or somebody I know attends. And, and you read that week after week, after week, year after year. And I didn't realize it at the time, but in looking back, like that is what gave me my sense of place and sense of belonging. Like that was my hometown because of, in part, because I felt a connection to it that had been established week after week after week. And I knew a lot about it because of those papers. Um, you know, and, and so the thought that maybe we've been able to do that to an extent here for people, um, makes me feel good about, about what we've done. Um, but, but sad for communities that, that are losing their papers, because I feel like if you don't have something like that, that you can all connect with or rally around or just feel like it's going to be there every week or every two weeks, um, then you're missing out on that opportunity to connect as a community. And it's, and it's important, you know, to, to feel like you belong somewhere. Do you think all these newspapers that have been closing, um, could have possibly saved themselves if they went more hyper local as opposed to, uh, running a lot of AP pieces and thinking people want national? Do you think there's a, there's a secret in, in sort of, or magic in covering local and people reading about themselves? It's interesting. Yes, I think yes and no. But I would say like a, a a daily paper in a market like Richmond, if they ditched all of their AP coverage, they would get a lot of people saying, how dare you? Which is funny to me. Um, and, and, and yet I think that's maybe the approach that I would take to an extent if I were running that paper. But at the same time, when I go to other cities about this size, if I get the local paper and there's no national news at all, I almost feel like it's a strange, <laughs> a strange thing. Like I, I expect it to be there. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I would like to think that people still care and will always care about what's happening around them. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I look at the amount of coverage that we can, can put out of, uh, related to Henrico County and think, well, why can't the daily paper put out a hundred times as much? And they've got a, a bunch more resources than we do, you know, um, I think some papers were just, it, it's been difficult for them to, to react quickly. I mean, if I want to try something, implement something new, you know, it doesn't take me long because basically <laughs> I make the decision and then we do it. Uh, larger companies, you know, especially as, as more and more local papers are, are chains, you know, there's chains buying up chains and, uh, it's harder to, to be nimble like that. And I think a lot of times they've struggled with, you know, nobody else is going to run a newspaper where they don't have a an office manager. They don't have a graphic designer. They don't have a really a sales team. I will. I'm that idiot. So, you know, it's it's easier for me to, to be flexible. Um, if I had all those people in place, it'd be really hard to, to, to make a go of it right now because that's a lot of extra revenue that I would need to, to do that. So I get it. Um, but it is still frustrating. Well, Tom, I can tell you that... Um... I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to get you too excited, but I am, uh, you have made the Jeff Perlman, two writers slinging Yang, uh, 50 under 50 list. Uh, <laughs> in fact, you, you are number one on the list of guests I've had who started their own newspaper in 2001 in Virginia. So I, I am incredibly, honored. I can't wait for the trophy. I mean, what, what, what does the trophy look like? Yeah. It, uh, it, 
it'll come. It'll come. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. it'll, it might take a while, but it'll be there. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Well, I'm flattered that you would have me. It's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be with you and uh, have enjoyed it very much. I want to thank today's guest, Tom Lapis, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Lapis and check out his newspaper at HenricoCitizen.com. One can listen to Two Writers Slinging Yang on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, and your views are always appreciated. Music is by the dazzling MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.